everybody, and welcome back to Export Audio, episode... You thought we were dead? <laughs> what is this, 157, I want to say? I don't know. I don't know. That sounds right. Let's roll with it. I'm not going to... Movies! Movies! Now more than ever, 158. Watch them. <laughs> We've watched two movies in the last couple... We watched one last night and one this morning. So what, the last couple dozen hours? 18 hours-ish. <laughs> 16 hours? Something like that. We watched... Hexen? Hexen? I don't... I mean, it, I could pronounce it in German, but it's not a German word. So I've I always pronounced know. it Hexen, but, but I don't actually know. It's an A, and it has an umlaut, but also it's Swedish, so I don't know. Looking I could at, only take that in a German pronunciation, and I don't have any, like, confidence that, that is actually the correct vowel sound. The the Danish on the Wikipedia page is spelled... Did I say Swedish? So, so... Danish director and crew, um, Swedish financing on that movie. So, I will be honest; they all, they're all the same to me. <laughs> the da- the Danish spelling, which was on the Wikipedia page, I noticed was H E X or H E K S E N. So I'm gonna keep saying Hexen because that's what I've always said. The witches or witchcraft through the ages. Uh, we did not watch. Witch- we we did not witchcraft watch through the ages. That's, that's a different of, thing. That one has narration. That's a different fucking movie. It has jazz. It has jazz. You like jazz? You like jazz? <laughs> um, and then we also watched uh, Ingmar Bergman's Persona. Um, this is gonna have to be a short-ish podcast because I go to work in two hours. So, but I can sum up these movies pretty quickly. Yeah. Which one do you want me to start with? Uh, let's do Hexen first. Hexen is a really funny, um, I guess, documentary. Yeah, this says of, essay film on Wikipedia, but I would say documentary. It feels like the whole construct is fictional, like it's a fake documentary, but I guess at, a, at the time, you know, hysteria was a thing. Yeah. So... It's hard to say. Yeah. It is a seven-part documentary wherein you are given all sorts of quote-unquote facts about Mm -hmm. witches, things that were alleged about witches, things that were done to witches, and the modern explanation for the things that were alleged of witches. Mm -hmm. All of this is kind of bullshit, actually, because on top of... Hysteria doesn't really exist, and that's not really the cause of these, like, weird behaviors. Um, The witch hunts in this way did not actually historically Mm -hmm. happen, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. But it made for a damn good movie. It's a damn good movie. That's a five-star film right there. That's a fucking movie. There's all sorts of weird little guys. It's a silent film, Mm -hmm. 1922. Um... I was going to say black and white. That's not true. It has multiple colors, just only one at a time. Yes. It has it has orange bits and blue bits. But those... The, the, the film is shot in black and white, and then tinting was applied. Hard to know. I don't know much about the history of silent film, and so it's always hard for me to, to pick apart um, what is, like... Is that tinting done now? Like... Because when we watch Witchcraft Through the Ages, that's all uh, presented in black and white, seemingly. So, it depends, because, like, there are some... Like, a later uh, Melier thing I was looking at only exists in a colored print. Mm-hmm. But it was it was hand-colored mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. But, like, the only surviving copy of it is colored. Yeah. But it's not, that's not what was captured. So I don't really know... I feel like I read somewhere that, like, Phantom of the Opera, um, the silent film, like, was originally presented in black and white and then has been, like, tinted in various re-releases over the years to sort of, um, you know, make it more enticing to, like, audiences who are watching films in color. But I don't... There's no technical reason that they couldn't have screened this in 1922 with the sort of orange and blue tinting of the movie. I, I don't believe so, anyway. You know, that seems like a fairly straightforward thing to do in post. This is back basically in how days. you get Tron, also. Sure. Is you just take the film and draw on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, like... 
I, I the only color I remember from Phantom of the Opera was the Mask of the Red Death. Mm-hmm. When he's red. Well, and... all the all the scenes in Phantom of the Opera are tinted in the same way that like the scenes in this are, where there will just be a red shade. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least when I saw Phantom of the Opera last, you know, I don't know, nineteen twenty-five. Twenty-five, I believe. I'm just googling it to pick up some images here. Yeah. So the version I saw, yeah, had like an orange or a blue tint or something. So maybe, maybe I saw a particular presentation because we're looking at some black and white images. I think I just watched whatever was on YouTube when Mm -hmm. I watched it. This is this movie's fucking good, by the way. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera is fucking good. 1925 one. I, some of our friends, I believe, like you know more modern adaptations of the Phantom of the Opera, and I have no opinion on those. So yeah, this one seems to be sepia. Mm Hmm. I'll click it. Hopefully it doesn't play any audio before I, uh... I mean, it's a silent film, but... Yeah. Yeah, score. yeah, yeah. Okay, mostly sepia. But with night scenes in blue. Right. And then you get some other stuff, but... Yeah. The big scene... Sometimes... Yeah. Well, in there, I've seen other versions of this where the only thing colored is him when he's in the Mask of the Red Death. But anyway, so... Like... Hexen starts with, um, yeah, this is good. God, he looks so cool. Look at him. He's so cool. So Hexen. Yeah. The movie a, we're a actually lesser, here to talk about. A lesser film. Uh, I think I like Hexen better than Phantom of the Opera. I'm, you know, you can be wrong. So Hexen, like we open on like intertitles where um, <clears throat> uh, Christensen is talking about like, um here's how witches were thought of and you get just like lots of cool drawings of witch shit basically and then you like some boshian shit not all the way to bosh yeah totally but like very intricate tableaus of hell yes and all sorts of chicanery yeah and then at a certain point you get like a really cool like diorama of like what hell is supposed to look like. Um and you just like little like puppet figures all like moving around and the fire's burning and somebody's being dunked into the fire and all this sort of shit. It's so good. Um and then like gradually it unfolds into like we will now present for you a witch trial from beginning to end. And so you see, like, um, actors are playing, you know, um, here's the old woman who's accused of being a witch, and here are, like, the other women that are, like, you know, accusing her, and here are all the um, monks that are persecuting her. And um, there's a lot of... um, It's just so good because, like, all that stuff is fun, and then periodically, a weird guy with, like, just a bunch of hair glued to his chest and, like, horns, and he's, like, wagging his tongue going... Blah, 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 blah. Constantly has his tongue out because in every depiction of demons, their tongues are out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so you just see, like, devils running around. There's he looks a... like some guy's dad. Uh-huh. He's just a kind of a big, hairy guy. Yeah. There, there's a, a scene of like the witch's Sabbath, and you see like just a bunch of witches hanging out in the forest, kissing Satan's butt. A lot of Satan ass eating in this movie. <laughs> um, and you see like there's a great big Baphomet like um, statue, and then like doors open under the statue, and devil guys well, come the, out. The arms unfold, and then they yes. walk out of the void. Yes. Like, behind curtains, I assume. Or there are, like, guys in pig costumes that are just, like, looking at little gri- little guys that I kept calling Grogu's. You, so we had Grogu. We uh-huh. had Grogu. We had bigger Grogu. We had... Middle Grogu. Middle Grogu and medium Grogu. Uh-huh. You had big Grogu and large Grogu, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, Foolishness. Yeah, just a, just a lot of, like, movies or images. Here's a bunch of weird images um, and they're all sort of centered on this, like, satanic theme. Um, apparently this movie was, like, censored in the U.S., France, and Germany at the time because this was just too scandalous to be to be screened in, in the cinemas, you know? I mean, there's a, I've seen a lot of 
silent films that are basically like, hey, you like magic shows, right? Right. Yeah, totally. I can totally. pull some real shit with that. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just look at the things I can do with editing, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fun. Uh, you know, at the start of the movie, it says, like, this this film was made between 1919 and 1921. Um, and you you totally see how, because they're just building tons and tons of costumes and models and... Sets. Sets and miniatures and... Um, there's, a, there's a night city that is basically like a cone with a bunch of building, like, houses built onto it mm-hmm. that then rotates mm-hmm. so they can overlay the witches riding their brooms through a scrolling, like, city. And it's sick as hell. Lots of, lots of fun with um, sort of, like, overlaying two images onto each other. Like, they're overlaying the special effects shot of the witches flying over the city, or they're overlaying, like... There's a bit where, like, somebody dies, and then Satan is, like... She goes to sleep. She goes to sleep, and then Satan is beckoning her toward him, and, like, you have um, <clears throat> superimposed over her sleeping body, like, her rising up and going with Satan, you know, in the dream or whatever. Um, there was the witch trial. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's it's no passion of Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> what is? <clears throat> It's it's fun because I the movie I think allows you the movie is pretty like so so part 7 because it it is in seven parts part 7 is about like a sort of modern scientific then modern scientific explanation of like uh, these women were hysteric, and what is hysteria, and how do we understand and treat hysteria now? Now we can see all these symptoms we've talked about before in the context of modern medicine. Yes. Um, Perhaps the burning at the stake has been replaced with cold showers at sanitariums. Uh-huh. Sanatoriums? It's sanatoriums. What's a sanitarium? I think the same thing. I don't know. Um. Sanitarium... Built for long-term illness sanatorium. Uh, is not a word, maybe. Or it might be the same thing. Might be the same thing. Anyway. <laughs> a sanatorium, also sanitarium or sanatorium. I guess that's the same damn thing. Hank but Green it- voice, leave a comment if it's the same damn thing. It's interesting how the movie, I think you could watch it and be like, oh, this movie is saying like that how we treat hysterical women, quote unquote, now is better. But I think the movie is equally, not equally, but a a little skeptical of, hey, we should, maybe there's something we can do besides just throwing these women in functional prisons. And what is not really explicitly stated is like, there is no end to learning about things. Yes. And that, like, someday... It doesn't go so far as to say, perhaps someday these treatments will be seen as... Barbaric as or... the same type of barbaric. And that that's not where the movie goes. It yeah. is not forward-thinking in that way. But I think it opens up that space a little bit. I think it also... There's a there's an interesting amount of... I think this movie has a definite point of view... But it opens up spaces. Like, this movie isn't going to say that um, the monks are torturing these women for, like, their own sexual pleasure. But I think that you can read that movie... I think you can read that into the movie as you see the monks all, like, spying on the women as, like, one monk tortures them. And, like, the women are constantly undressed as they're being tortured and like who who is this serving and the monks are like so clearly like not do like have like false circular logic that can only ever if a woman is accused of being a witch she can only ever be a witch and is so i think that like this is kind of a metaphor because like these witch witch hunts in this way didn't really happen but obviously this is the type of like exploitation of power that people throughout history especially large organizations like the church in this time period 
would often get away with. It's mm-hmm. just that it's not often as clear cut as we're torturing this person for no reason. Yeah. It's like, you know, there are many other more realistic things that this is actually kind of embodying. Yeah. There's like the one monk who is like troubled because he keeps having sinful thoughts about like how hot the witches are. And all the other monks seem to like conclude, well, the, th- the, the cure for your sinful thoughts is to torture some witches. <laughs> You and know, whip you a little bit. And whip you a little bit. There, There is a <laughs> lengthy scene, a lengthy scene, where you see the the young monk being bent over a table, stripped and whipped to by the waist. The, to the waist, whipped by the older monk, and then like... He looks like he's coming. He looks like he's coming, because then... You see that, and then super. once the whipping begins, superimposed over that image so that you see both at the same time is um, the the monk receiving the whip, whipping. And he's sort of like moaning in like pain, pleasure, both at the same time. Hands in mind because it's a, yeah, it's a silent movie. Yeah, um, and it's just like, sex is happening here. <laughs> There's also this, a shot of a nun walking through a... A chapel with a knife possessed by satan and it's just like this is like so many people's just whole deal <laughs> it's just a nun kind of looking crazy eyed holding a knife yeah there's a th- that that's part of a sequence where all the nuns in the convent are are penetrated by satan is the language of the movie <laughs> and they all sort of start having like a wild sex party and defacing the um Mary it's on so the... so funny how taboo stepping on a cross is. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's just like, yeah, it's 1922, and this movie's about wild nun sex parties, you know? <laughs> they, the more things change, the more things stay the same. <laughs> um, there's also, like, in the... It, it, the witches' Sabbath scene that I mentioned earlier, as the witches are walking to it, you just see like there's one Satan who or one devil who's like churning butter. That's just the most jack and off motion in the world. And then there are like two other devils in front of him, and one of the devils is like bent over, and the the devil who's standing up has his hand on the other's back, and he's pointing them toward where the thing is, and like. It is, anal sex is happening. They're not, like, in each other's asses like that. They're, like, you know, standing as far apart as you can while fucking, but, like, they're fucking. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wild movie. It's a wild movie. The most fucked up thing you can possibly be, because um, there's this incredible, like, stop-motion animation shot of, like, there's a door, and then the door starts, like, getting torn into, and emerging from it is, like, this goat-headed figure with, like, weird, saggy titties and a dick, and that's the most fucked-up evil thing you can be of all. Um, you want to talk about Persona? I do. I always want to talk about Persona. Which uh, S-Links are your favorite? Nora, do you want to tell Video people? Video game joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can sum up Persona. Yeah, summon Persona for us, please. <clears throat> A boy in purgatory tries to watch a movie on the world's least reliable uh, projector, and it breaks. <laughs> That's the plot of Persona. You are correct. <laughs> you were right about one thing, Master. He fucks it up. I presumably goes back to sleep. <laughs> um. So, Persona, 1966, uh, Ingmar Bergman film. This is... um. One of the classics of cinema. Um, I'm just shot in the dark here. Damn. Damn. I was trying to just type in manually the Persona page for the um, for the film. Mm-hmm. But in fact, oh, it, of course. You should have done parentheses 1966 film. Not and then you would have gotten there. Film. Or parentheses nineteen sixty six underscore film. Yes. Anyway, um, yeah, this is a classic. You'd never seen it before. I'd seen it um, twice in college. I had to like um, 
do a little book report about this movie basically for a class once and so um saw it once did not care for it saw it a second time and liked it a fair deal more i'm i'm making a face at some of the words on this page here tell me the tell me the face you're making well i'm not going to tell you the face i'm making but i'm going to read this. Uh, yeah second. sorry the enigmatic film has been called the Mount Everest of cinematic analysis. According to film historian Peter Cowie, quote, everything one says about Persona may be contradicted. The opposite will also be true. That's I not w- fucking true. I guess I would agree with that. The Mount Everest of cinematic analysis is silly, but... What are you going to do? Just say that I don't believe the things I believe? Yeah. No, you didn't have that feeling. I mean, I mean... Like, fuck off. I guess... I have a reading on this movie, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't have a reading on this movie. I have a thing that I was interested in what this movie was doing. And you have a very different interest set while you were watching this movie. And I don't think that, like, the things that I was interested in um, Ingmar, cancel out the things that you were interested in. Ingmar and I did not approach this movie from the same, like... Uh-huh. Uh, with the same intent. No, no. So, um, I'll try to give a bit more of a... Oh, su- was my summary not sufficient? <laughs> Your summary was not sufficient. I don't even consider the parts I said to be really part of the movie. That's less, like, completely out of the film for me. Because the- it doesn't matter to me. Right, so so <laughs> like- this is... This is where we're going to differ on this movie, and this is why you gave this movie three stars on Letterboxd, and I gave it five. I'm going to, but I haven't done it yet. Yes, but... So, in Persona, we are introduced to Elizabeth Vogler, who is a theater and film actress, um, who one day in the middle of a performance, she just is stricken by, like, silence, basically. She can't speak, she can't sing... Or she won't speak, won't sing, question mark, question mark, question mark. And she's sent to a sort of, like, mental hospital. And um, a young nurse named Alma is assigned to her. Um, after some time in the hospital, they then... Um, uh, Vogler has a conversation with the doctor. And the doctor um, sends the two of them out to her summer home on a beach um, for, you know... Uh, what I thought was like a long time, but could only be a weekend. Yeah, could only be like three days tops. In fact, I think it's more likely that it was a weekend, like a long weekend. Yeah. Because it like... Yeah. Actually, they only go to sleep like two or three times. Yes. So so they um, spend time there, and Vogler is not speaking, and Alma is speaking a great deal, and she... Getting drunk. She's having some drinks and confessing to uh, Vogler, like, um, things she's never told anybody because she just feels that Vogler is, like, a good listener. Um, And they um, eventually, like, things come to a head because she... Vogler writes a letter to the doctor um, and tells the doctor about the things that Alma said, and Alma is very hurt by this. Um, And... Like, emotions just sort of keep rising and rising and rising and rising and rising. Um, and lots of weird cinematic things happen, and it's kind of hard to tell what's going on at all, period. But the movie ends with the two women sort of going their separate ways. Um, and, like, the sort of, like, who, what, when is going to get really ambiguous and thorny here. The Wikipedia summary of the plot leaves out some stuff, and also alleges some things about the film that i thought was a different thing it says that when you see the crew at the end that that is the crew of this movie that's how i read that but i you said something totally opposite of that and i was like huh yeah you might be right i assumed that was a just showing that she went back to her job as an actress yeah and then alma takes the bus yeah like they just went in different directions. Like, I did. I did not think for a second that the fourth wall was being broken like that. Yeah, I. I don't think that the fourth wall is really messed with at all in this film. Really, like there are things about like 
film effects, like the film gets torn down the center and stuff. But like, that doesn't, that's not really what that means. The characters don't know they're in a movie, right? Or do they? No, they just stare at the camera. (laughs) (laughs) My point being... You joked very early on um, that, like, in the scene where you see Vogler stricken by, like, this silence that, oh, she realized she's in a movie. And you said that as a joke, and I'm like, no, I think that's actually what's happening. (laughs) I don't think that's what's happening. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Most of this movie is pretty fun. Yeah. Just watching some characters. So you... This is, like, a beloved classic. This, you know, we we stumbled on this movie this morning because you were looking at the Sight and Sound 100, or at least the selections from that are on the Criterion channel. Because I was trying to get you to watch Metropolis. You were trying to get me to watch Metropolis. We'll probably watch that soon, but um, opted not to watch it today. Um... I was trying to get you to be watching that if we had turned it on. Yes. You were trying to get me to watch Metropolis and I was like, no, it's too long. And then I saw Stalker and I was like, hey, Nora, you want to watch a movie that's 10 minutes longer? (laughs) You were like, hey, hypocrite. (laughs) That's on my list, but you know. So we settled for a movie that's just shy of 90 minutes. Um, The thing you were saying to me when we finished this movie, um, and you can sort of correct me if I'm misinterpreting you, but that... You were interested in the parts of this movie that really zeroed in on the characters, like the sort of character study. Yeah, I was having a good time watching two people. Like, one of my favorite movies is, and this is maybe a weird choice. Have you seen 10 Cloverfield Lane? I have. That's a movie about three characters in a tight space, Mm -hmm. (coughs) and you just, they just go. Yeah. And it's fun, it's very tense, which this movie's not. Um, So this is like a tonal difference. But um, that's kind of the mode I was in watching this movie, where I was enjoying watching Alma. This is a very fun, uh, compelling performance from this actor. Um, And also the physical performance from the other woman. Liv Ullman. And... uh, it's a really compelling, like, just deep dive into these characters. And then Mr. Ingmar decides, I'm bored of this. <laughs> <laughs> and starts doing all these weird things. And it's like, I'm totally fine. So the, the dream sequence mm-hmm. or a surreal sort of visual, audiovisual segment that represents a character thinking about a thing. But what I want out of the end of that is for it to affect the character on the screen and the relationship on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like that actually happened because the movie just stopped. And I would much rather something like that end with a a sort of declaration, which does happen, but then nothing happens. The movie stops. And and it's not 100% clear why Alma has to assert that she isn't Elizabeth, necessarily. Yes, yes. there is a, like, switching of places um, that when I remember this movie, I'm like, oh, it's clear what's happening here. And I don't. it's not clear at all, like, do Elizabeth and Alma switch places? What does that mean? There's a do scene... they actually look more alike in the fiction than the actors on screen do? Yeah. There's a scene where Elizabeth's husband um comes to see her and um asterisk asterisk because um he sees um alma played by bb anderson by the way uh giving just yeah like he said a superb performance and she's like i'm not your wife i'm you know her nurse and then vogler elizabeth um like appears behind Alma and sort of like guides her hands and tells her what to say um, as Alma like, you know, has a conversation with um, Vogler's husband about um, their child and their marriage and they have sex. And then, you know, after they have like for a while, Alma goes along with this. And then like after the sex scene sort of like, reasserts herself and is like give me a sedative i'm not myself i'm not you know 
But then after these scenes, she wakes up. Yes. And the Wikipedia summary makes no mention of that part. Yeah. It makes no... It's like, okay, no, this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. It's like, I'm not convinced that did happen. Yeah. Is she just dreaming about being this actress? There's there's um a scene where um Elizabeth vi- visits Alma in the night and the next morning Elizabeth denies this and it's like unclear like did that happen and Elizabeth is denying it or is that a dream that Alma had because she's clearly like sexually interested in um Elizabeth and that and I think the movie is being very playful with like in a movie how could you really tell a dream from a reality without the filmmaker sort of clearly indicating that to you because you know there's none none of this is real you're no i bonda i what it's a david lynch reference don't worry shut up uh the thing is all of that is true it is true that the whole film is a dream so who can tell but after those things, the characters just go, well, that just happened, and leave. <laughs> so, 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 so. And it's like, I'm, I'm losing anything to hold on to here because it's like, okay, no, I understand the, what a film is. I understand what narrative is. Mm. I, I know that. I'm on the same page. You can do all these cool tricks here. I just want to know what's the story. I came to you because I wanted to watch these characters, and maybe that's not a story. Maybe that's just enjoying some characters. But I did want it to like reach a sort of end point where something happened, and that almost does when they're walking on the beach. But then they just kind of like quietly pack up and leave. Uh huh. I'm like, this doesn't end with a murder suicide. This doesn't end with like. <laughs> An ascension to heaven? Like, what are we doing? Like, something should happen. Yeah, you wanted a cathartic moment. I guess, a culmination. Like, something that was like, and because you've come, you've been through this crucible, this happens. And the the this in this movie is, we go back home. Yeah. And not, we go back home and, oh, I'm going to change X, Y, I'm going to divorce my husband. Uh Uh-huh. Not, I'm going to go, we go home and I'm going to quit my job. It's like, we go home and I guess we're kind of bummed. Yeah. Which is like, okay, but you set up, you you put a step stool in the ring. Uh Uh-huh. And then you just got pinned. <laughs> like, you didn't go for the briefcase at all. <laughs> um, so, I the thing... To talk about... There's a scene where you told me you're losing me, Ingmar. Over three scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it one scene? Is it three scenes? Who could say? Who can say? Um, and that was the scene where I was like, Oh no! This movie is even better than I remember. Like the, your your the part point. where I laid down, uh-huh. which is when they play the same scene again, but with a different camera angle. So to me, that's in, a different scene in full. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I know, I get it. This is like you brought up Metal Gear Solid, where you hold down. R1 I that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> it is. It just kind of, me, does kind of feel like that. Let me explain to the listeners this scene. <laughs> And I, I would be curious to know if you have an exact moment that it loses you. I, I suspect there is, but... So. Um, Alma brings to Elizabeth the um, a photo of Elizabeth's son that earlier in the film Elizabeth tore up. And Alma says, we need to talk about this. Do you want to tell me about it? You don't? Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think of what you, you tearing up that photo means and she delivers so we see the camera through this whole thing in one long take focused on elizabeth's face and alma delivers a lengthy monologue about like you were you didn't want to have a child you felt pressured into having a child by sort of like social expectations um and you hate your child um there's a lot there's a lot more to it than that. Um, I guess the other thing I'll say here is that you felt that like 
the thing that was important to you was um, the the theater, your art, your acting, and the the child sort of represented to you taking you away from those things, right? Did did you enjoy that part of the scene? Of just the the, we... the initial focusing on Elizabeth's face as Alma delivers that monologue. Did you enjoy that part at all? I guess it was fine, but this whole third like fourth paragraph. Yeah. Starting from the husband scene on is when I was like Okay. Okay. Kinda like you're losing me, and then the second shot of the same scene happened, and I'm like, Ingmar, buddy. Right, so then she finishes that monologue, and then we return again to the to the opening shot of that monologue of Alma bringing um, Elizabeth the photo. Or actually, no, Alma does not. The first time, Alma brings Elizabeth the photo. The second time... No, she's got it under her hand. Elizabeth. The second time, Elizabeth has it under her hand she already had it both of them are the same okay they both start with shots of the hand hold covering the picture yes okay and then alma says we need to think we need to talk about this and you cut to um alma sitting down and now you're getting that same monologue again um and you focus on alma's face as it's delivered um and this is really interesting i think to me in part because the first time you see this monologue, it is easy to imagine these two actresses sitting down across from each other, and in one long take, Alma delivers that monologue, basically, right? Mm-hmm. The second time you see it, um, there are cuts throughout the monologue, and you realize that could not have been one long take. And this is the same audio both times, um, and so the thing that you saw was always sort of fictionalized in some way always had the the editing applied to it the thing that you saw didn't actually happen in some ways and you see cuts that like the camera had to be reset up and so alma can't be delivering this all in one long thing and you see these cuts and then gradually you get closer and closer to alma's face and the the monologue ends then with um on the left half of the screen you see Alma's face on the right half, like perfectly divided at mm. their nose. Asterisk. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Elizabeth's face, and yeah. they're they're transposed onto each other. You joked that they kind of looked like Lon Chaney in this moment. This is why we were talking about Phantom in the Opera earlier. Yes, because I was just thinking about Lon Chaney because they're it, the angle just shows off their nose in a way noses, I mm. guess, in a way that reminded me of the Phantom of the Opera. And I have a place I really want to go from here but unfortunately i drank two cups of coffee and a whole bottle of water during the film and i have well, to go tough. i have to so go the thing right about now this scene. <laughs> I... <laughs> anyway so what i was saying is that i find all of this very interesting because it draws attention to the artifice of filmmaking as so much of this movie is done is the is drawing attention to the artifice of the movie making and watching experience and so much of this monologue we see vogler's art in a sort of dichotomy um in a sort of contradiction with vogler's life um, which is also something i think we've seen in a different manner with alma's character in her big monologue earlier she's talking about um this this orgy she had on the beach one time where <clears throat> she goes out with her friend and just like her and her friend get naked on the beach and just have sex with these two random guys they see and how Alma really that was like a really important fulfilling experience for her and then she went home to her um <clears throat> to her like fiance and um like had the most boring sex of her life basically um and she she sees her life generally on a path toward you know being a nurse and a mother and uh being a wife um and she's not going to deviate from that path but she also had this glimpse of this other thing where she could just be sort of a free spirit like having sex with whoever and 
blah, 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 you know? Um, and so, for me, I guess the thing that... I don't, I don't have a, an interpretation of this movie, necessarily. I don't think the movie is saying this. I just think the movie is thinking through, like, how a person gets pulled in different directions by um, different forces in their life, whether that's social expectations or whether that's their most innermost desires or maybe that's, you know, I think for Vogler, like, a fear of desire, a fear of, um, like, not knowing what she wants. Um, and, um, I think the movie is often thinking through, like, what is the role that art might play in one's life and how is, you know, all these fictional things, like, oppose, like, like, all, all art is supposed to reflect life, but art in, by definition is not life because it's made up, you know, and it's a 90-minute movie, not a full lifetime of experience. And like I say, I don't have, like, a conclusion that I come to out of this. I just... The monologue in and of itself is really good and really compelling. And then by repeating the monologue but drawing attention to the artifice of filmmaking, I think you just underscore different aspects of the monologue that I found very interesting. But when it's the fourth time you've said this is a movie, uh, you're losing me. Like, I know it's a movie. I hit play on the Criterion channel. We watched the boy watch the film. I know mm -hmm. it's a movie. We've mm -hmm. been through, like, three or four times that the movie has, like, revealed its nature as, as a, a movie, and it's like, yes. And... Mm -hmm. And I don't know that there's an answer for me. Yeah, for me, and that's it's... unsatisfying, and not the good kind of unsatisfying. I'm just kind of annoyed because I'm like, no, yeah, I know. Well, it's it's a movie. I know movie. <laughs> for me, it is. For me, it is the. I don't feel like I'm being unreasonable here, or like no, I uncharitable. I don't think you are either. For me, it is the satisfying kind of unsatisfying because I had. A hundred different things that I was thinking about the about the role the role of movies in my life, you know, um, and what do movies do for me, both like you know positive and negative. If I want to get reductive about it, you know, um, are those things actually positive or negative? You know, are those just like, or are you just b killing time until you die? Maybe I don't know. Is if does art lead me to thinking about like the important aspects of my life? I dropped the remote. <laughs> does art lead me to contemplating like things about my life, or does art distract me for for ninety minutes from what my life actually is? Um, I I think it would be really interesting if the two characters on screen had those two or similar different approaches to art and that was like a thing that they expressed <laughs> uh that would be i agree that would be a really compelling to sort me, of experiment there to me the the you you want like the the dialogue the words to express that and i don't, I don't well, think you're wrong to i don't want that it doesn't have to be literal guys saying i have changed my mind about life uh-huh Obviously, you can use visuals or music to yeah. tell that, but I do want it to be indicated in the narrative that we got something out of this experience. Uh -huh. And if it's not about that, if it's about we didn't get something from this experience, I'd like to see that too. There are plenty of movies that just end with like, well, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. you know. Like no. I, 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 uh, I am. You know, a person who does not much care for Grave of the Fireflies. That mm -hmm. movie does not have a cathartic ending. Mm -hmm. But it is like, oh, and then this happened. Mm -hmm. Which is like a little bit more substance in that ending than what I felt like I got in Persona. Well, let me tell you. that If you want a movie where two women... Um... Are you going to talk about The Hunger? 
No. Oh. If you want a movie where uh-huh. two women sort of think about the the role of cinema in their lives and then um, sort of like their roles in their own lives and um, sort of maybe switch places at a certain point, question mark, question mark, question mark, um, and there's a lot of ambiguity and a lot of drawing attention to the artifice of cinema, but you want it to end in a sort of murder-suicide thing, might I suggest to you Mulholland Drive, directed by David Lynch, premiered in 2001. No, <laughs> I'm just saying that Mulholland Drive goes over a lot of these things in a similar way, but that movie ends with a climax, let me tell you. The thing is, Uh is that part of me is like, I shouldn't be demanding um, some kind of like ending because obviously that's like a, a basic movie like approach. But also, I do like it when a story has, like, a conclusion of some kind, even yeah. if it's deliberately unsatisfying. I think you're totally... I, I, I feel like I'm gonna get, you know, roasted in the quote tweets on this one, but also, I just feel it. It's, like, it's just the way that I approach storytelling, and I want there to be a story. And I don't know... Th- I'm not saying that there's only one way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like... What <laughs> every time I take something away from you that you're fiddling with, you pick something else up. <laughs> I I just <laughs> what do you have now? Chapstick. What did you have before? A pop tab. And before that, my earbuds case and a, and a, a hair tie. <laughs> I do need to just put on chapstick. I'm sorry for distracting you. I don't know. I feel pulled in two directions as, like, this feels like somebody's just going to say, oh, you just don't understand movies. You mm-hmm. don't understand the language of the cinema. And I, to that, I would say, well, they should make, change it and make it better. <laughs> like, I don't I, know. It, I, it, like, is this... Am I being unreasonable here? I don't think so. I think you are well within your rights. Like, I'm not a movie guy, so I don't know if this is, like, a super basic thing to say about the the medium of films but that's kind of because i take the same narrative like lens to every medium like like i say stuff like this about like on journal Mm -hmm. about video games i say this about books like i kind of approach all narratives the same way regardless of medium and if it matters what medium it is then that that's another like Mm -hmm. angle to talk about but Stories, That's just not your stories are lens. kind of stories yeah. to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think you are at all being unreasonable. To, I love this movie. Right. I. I. I really, really love this movie. I really responded to this movie, um, for the ways in which it approaches cinema as a medium. I don't think you are being unreasonable at all. To, I think. I think you have approached this movie in good faith and you found a lot of things that you find interesting and then you sort of felt frustrated when the movie found different things interesting. You it know? felt like Ingmar walked in and was like, okay, and now we're, go- now we're going to change the film at this juncture uh-huh. into a different type of experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like, buddy, you had it. <laughs> you had it, and now you're doing something else, which might be great for you, but I can't follow you. Anakin, mm. you're breaking my heart. <laughs> I mean, so, we had a... Uh, we had. I'm not a film guy, also. We had a similar experience watching his film, The Magician, which, you know, is not beloved in the way that this yeah, movie is that beloved. One I, I really had higher hopes for from the premise, and it ended up not being as interesting as I would have liked. But not for any structural reason, necessarily. I just wasn't a big fan of, like, the, the script. Like, the, yeah. the things that happened in the movie did not engage me in that way. Yeah, but to me, that movie ends in a really, like, unsatisfactory way. And this movie ends in a pretty, like, oh, I, I had so many things to think about. And I think the, the... I'm not thinking about The Magician, that's for sure. That's for fucking sure. Um... <laughs> But I think, like, there's a lot of, like, similar... There's a lot... Of, there's a very similar beating heart to both of these movies, you know? Like, like to go very, very literal, um, this movie centers on, in some way on Liv Ullman as an actress not speaking, just... 
Max von Sydow. In, in the Sydow, I think. Sydow. In the it's magician more Star doesn't Wars speak. Than you think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also barely speaks, and like especially yes. for the first half of the movie, he's he's very like physical, acting yes. very like visual, uh, and yeah. I, and that movie just doesn't really go anywhere, and maybe that's the point. I don't know. Um, this is a very it's also kind of about the. The prestige. <laughs> it is also about the 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 uh, illusion because he's a magician mm-hmm. in the illusionary sense, not in the what I was hoping sort of occult sense. <laughs> but he that is also about like the stage and the 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 screen and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you know, maybe I'm just not gonna gel with Mr. Bergman. I think general. I think. You need to watch The Seventh Seal because I think visually, just like what's happening in that movie of just like guys in costumes and and all that sort of stuff, I think that's going to... If he uses a different metaphorical mode than actual film, maybe... I think so. <laughs> maybe it's... I will be more inclined to like it. It's been... Probably ten years since I've seen the Seventh Seal, so I couldn't tell you for certain. But I think like the Seventh Seal uh, comes at similar ideas at a very different angle. I know so, it has death in it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that because I I enjoy sort of, um, you know, I like fantasy guys like like the Grim Reaper and and <laughs> you know not for guys. Not for nothing, I kind of touched on this at the beginning of the podcast. The first time I watched Persona, I did not care for Persona. I did not like Persona the first time I watched it. For, I think, very similar reasons to you of like, ah, that was like, I wanted a moment of catharsis, or I wanted um, these characters to... I wanted I wanted Vogler to speak and and to say something or I I don't know like I I like, wanted something it, it, from the, the movie, movie that it didn't give me. The movie could end with her saying "Let there be light" and then the movie ends and that would be something to talk about and think about. You know that's uh-huh, something uh-huh. more interesting to me than I, I guess she went home to be an actor or according to Wikipedia uh, she's in a movie already. Yeah? Question mark. I, that's not interesting at all uh-huh. to me. Mm. Like, yeah, I already knew she was in a movie. I don't know. That, like, that's the kind of thing that if you if you do it in a way that annoys me, it, like, the, it's, like, damage multiplier. Mm-hmm. Like, it's cool to break the fourth wall and stuff, but mm-hmm. if, if you don't do it in a way that I'm, that, like, hooks me, then it's, like, double obnoxious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's fine. All this to say the Persona's mid. <laughs> <laughs> I said two different sentences to you, and you were like, well, one of those is a lot more going to get people mad at you than the other. Yeah, I say, if you say Persona is mid, I think people are going to be like, oh, Persona's not mid. <laughs> it, it, like, it doesn't matter how I phrase it, it's getting three stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> but, but I think, like, the discussion we've had where you, you talk about, well, I found really these parts of this movie really interesting and, and these other parts less interesting. I'm trying to, like, yeah. understand the fact that I am, I know that I don't have a film guy history. I don't have a language for film criticism that is honed for film specifically Mm -hmm. but also i just have all i can do is bring the emotions that i felt watching the movie to the conversation and that should be all i need yeah no i i totally agree with you and that's why i i am a little insecure about movies in this way of music also Mm -hmm. because i don't have a specialized language for it but I'm just here watching the movie telling you how I felt about it. <laughs> this was this was part of the reason I wanted to do the podcast because I was listening to you and I could I could hear that, you know, and what you were saying. Mm-hmm. And like um yeah, I just think that like I guess I've been thinking a lot about the canon of film because we were scrolling through the sight and sound um, stuff on Criterion. Yeah, which is not all of it. but Which is not all of it, but I've been looking at the Sight and Sound list, and I'm interested in watching a bunch of stuff off the Sight and Sound list um, mm-hmm. in 2023. Um, there's a lot of stuff I'd like to start like marking off my need-to-watch list. But I felt a little 
I was chafing against how much the sight and sound poll skews toward slow European movies. You know, that is not all of the list. That's a lot less of the list than it used to be. But the problem is that the damage is done. Uh Uh-huh. Like, the other four decades where somebody might have said, oh, this old movie from this country deserves attention too now that person is out of the conversation because it's been 50 years Mm. and it's like there are whole sections that would have maybe been highlighted here that weren't and now nobody is here to hold that torch yeah and it kind of sucks like i really like persona but i'm i'm just really chafing against the way that only movies like persona get canonized in this way right um and movies the I like, like Pale Flower does not get canonized in this way. Um, uh, Tokyo Drifter does not enter the canon in this way. You know, those are just like two movies that I just, you know, two Japanese movies that were just on my mind recently because of like, I watched one of them and I of saw a tweet so. about the other, you know, because they're always on my mind. <laughs> Do you think the Japanese and, movies, like Japanese language movies are like the number two for you in terms of number of movies? You think you've seen... Obviously, you've seen. I more looked at Letterbox, and I, I literally know that that is true. Okay. Well, I, I literally know that is true from looking at Letterbox. So, um, but 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 I'd be interested in what the third one is. I I don't know off the top of my head. Anyway, um, I I bring this up not because, like that's that's my thing, right? And I would be curious to know about other critics who are like, like Japanese movies being my thing. And there are other critics who know about other worlds of cinema that are not getting represented in this list. We, you know, why is there no, um, like, trashy American movies on this list? Why is Halloween not making it into the Sight and Sound 100, you know? I guess if you're a person who only watches things like Persona, I can see how you'd be so sort of mista- misguided in life. That you would think of Halloween as trashy. I guess I could see that sort of like, I've only eaten oatmeal my whole life, so I don't understand what a burger is. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> like, me pulling Halloween as, like, trashy. There are much trashier American movies, complimentary. Um, but, like, you know, horror movies like Halloween not getting a sort of respect in this way. Um, Halloween, one of the greats. One of the greats. Certainly one of the best, tw- the 20th. 20, 20th best movie. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly in the top 25. Yeah, sure. Um, you know. Um, uh, the thing about this is that all of these movies that make it onto this 100 list, um, outside of Alien and Blade Runner, are mm-hmm. all like not genre fiction. Right. And so. Which is increasingly just a massively popular, like way more popular uh-huh. in in culture and yet is not like like why why is the thing that is that obviously whether we like it or not the avengers mm-hmm. 2012 is one of the most important movies yes for the way that the medium exists in most of the world totally whether that's good or bad is a different discussion. But The Avengers, maybe not even necessarily for the contents of the movie exclusively, mm-hmm. but that is a very important movie. Mm-hmm. And that is not on this list. Right. And so, I guess all this to... I'm bringing all this up... To talk about tra- trashy American movies. <laughs> I'm bringing all this up because... Um, I guess... Here, to to tie it all together, right? The frustrating thing is that you didn't you didn't care for Persona, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of people might reject that opinion out of hand, right? Of oh, you just you don't have taste because you didn't like Persona, you know? Sure. And also the video game people say that exact same. <laughs> <laughs> um and and um. Like, I guess just, like, 
I I found your your take on Persona, the 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 stuff that you took away from Persona really interesting. I found this conversation really interesting and productive. And I I find it frustrating that um there is a sort of film establishment that it just dismisses I don't like Persona out of hand, you know? Replace Persona with like Anything, I guess. Citizen Kane. Sure. That's a movie that I've no interest in, just, like, as a function of what the story is. Mm. But I'll probably watch it someday. But, like, I don't know. That is not, like, absent the reputation that something like that has, or, like, The Godfather, Mm -hmm. I probably would never have picked it up anyway. Just because it's outside of your interest set, your taste, you know? It's like mafia guys okay let's i get it i Mm -hmm. I understand that that is a a space that people like a lot Mm -hmm. um i would i never would have looked at this again if it wasn't like one of the most beloved films Mm -hmm. of all time Mm -hmm. you know which in a way makes it feel fake Mm -hmm. it's like oh if i wouldn't have naturally picked up this movie what's the point of me watching it Hmm. Because then I'm just, like, letting other people dictate my Hmm. taste. Hmm. It's like, shouldn't I just only watch movies I want to? Therefore, staying true to my own taste? Hmm. Like, what do I... It feels like faking to be like, oh, what do you think is good, Mr. Director? Oh. But maybe that's stupid. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought this was like a good, interesting, productive conversation, and I just wanted to kind of like have it on air. I don't have any answers for you there. I, mean, but... I obviously that you should maybe try things to know if you like them or not. Yeah. But yes, yes, that's, absolutely. I don't. That's not really what I mean. What? Like, you can't know you won't, you won't care for Persona until you like Persona. You can't know that you won't care for Citizen Kane until you watch Citizen Kane. But um, but some of these movies are so influential that it's like, imagine being a person who just isn't interested in any movie in space uh-huh. and like they're not going to pick up two thousand one or Alien, which are both on this list. I guess the thing that we're grading against is that there there is a sense of like, well, you have to watch Citizen Kane, right? But there's no sense of that for you know just to keep going back to this one because it's easy Halloween, Jaws, you know, Jaws. Uh, Jaws, Jaws is part of a canon in a different way, but yes. Um, well, I had a thought about how to tie this into a conversation I had on stairwells this week, but you haven't heard that conversation, um, and it's 1 o'clock and I work at 2, so let's just wrap it up. You can find me on Twitter at Atumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at Atumnal. You can go to exportodd.io to see all the podcasts and the Patreons and the who's your what's it's, so... You can find me on Twitter at NeitherNor. You can find me on co-host at Ashworm. Ash with an E, worm with a Y. Uh, online. And if you subscribe to the podcast uh, at the Patreon, at $5, you get Pop Town Funk, which is a podcast kind of like this, if there were Persona Funko Pops. <laughs> if you want a much more conclusive conversation that is equally open-ended, you should listen to our Eternals episode. Our Eternals episode goes some weird places, but I feel much stronger about the places that those conversations went, you know? History is a record of atrocities. (laughs) (laughs) Eternals cannot escape history despite wanting to. But that's it for us. Yeah. Uh, Bye. Bye. Thanks for stopping. Bye. Keep it flamio. No, it's not crazy frog!
freaking it, I'm freaking it! <laughs> Dead I am, the book spreading from the full weekend. What you need, nowhere as you bleed. Dead I am, the rat feast upon the cat. Tender is the fur, dying as you predict. Die. 